0: How's everybody doing? That was okay. I mean, seriously, that was all right. Okay, so I have a fun story for you. My wife likes it when I tell these stories, that's why I do it. Um, so we have Friday day dates. That's my only day off. And, and when the kids are in school, it's just really nice because my wife and I we get to hang out and we'll go somewhere and eat breakfast or lunch and, and you know, shop and just do uh, what is becoming old people stuff now. But um, we do that. And so this Friday, I told her, I was like, <laughs> I said, I, I've run out of cologne. I need to go buy by Dillard's because I just think cologne when Dillard's. Um, so we need to go buy Dillard's. and I need to get some more cologne. And I've been kind of spoiled because a couple of years ago someone bought me a bunch of really nice cologne, and I didn't really have any like real context of how expensive some of this stuff is. And so I went by Dillard's and uh, the lady at the counter, and I said, Hey, you know, I wear this Armani, and I had this polo one as well. Where are those? I'd like to get some more because it's been, you know, I'm out, you know, right now. And um, I like to smell good because I don't know when I'm going to run into one of you guys somewhere and you're going to give me a hug. And I, I want to make sure that's a pleasant experience for you. Like, so I go out of my way to smell decent, right? So um, so I go to Dillard's and uh, she shows me and she takes me to one and then the other. And like, it's like 115 bucks for some of this cologne. And I'm like, dear Lord, it's how you know you're getting old, by the way, when you're like, everything's expensive. And, uh, I was like, man, 115 bucks. I am not gonna pay that much for cologne. So I kind of switched gears with the lady. And I'm like, hey, like, what are, you know, what are cool people wearing now? I wanna smell like the cool people. And uh, she said, well, they're wearing this kind of Dior. And she brought me over there and it had a picture of Johnny Depp, so you know it's good, right? And then um, <laughs> she sprayed some of it on a card and fanned it off and gave it to me and I smelled it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. I said, how much is a bottle of that? And she's, at first I thought she said 117 It was $170 for this cologne, Sauvage or whatever it's pronounced, I don't know, but it's got Johnny Depp on it. So $170, and I was like, I just can't do this. So I leaned over to Alicia, (laughs) I said, hey, I heard TJ Maxx has cologne. So, So we cruise on over to TJ Maxx, right? And on the way from the mall to TJ Maxx, I'm reminiscing about, you know, the scents of the past. And I'm like, I remember when it used to be Cool Water and Tommy Hilfiger and when I was relevant and cool, right? Yeah, some of you ladies in your 30s and 40s, you're like, my first kiss, that's what I smelled, right? So I was reminiscing about that stuff. And so we get to TJ Maxx and we're like rummaging through the clone because that's what classy people do, right? (laughs) Rummaging through all the clone that's discounted. And what do we come up with? A bottle of cool water and a bottle of Tommy Hilfiger. Listen. (laughs) Combined price was 30 bucks. I bought both of them. So (laughs) if you come up and smell me today, it's going to take you right back to 1996. It's wonderful. (laughs) So I woke up and proudly just sprayed cool water all over me this morning. So. That's my, that's my pathetic life. I don't know how you guys are doing. <laughs> that's what my dates look like, right? So <laughs> anyways, all right. So if you run into me on the streets, it's going to be good. Yeah, you're going to appreciate that. Okay, we've been working through the book of 2 Timothy. If you're new to the church, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. We just wrapped up with one in the New Testament called 1 Timothy, uh, a letter from an older man named Paul to a younger protege named Timothy working on the second letter that was sent to Timothy, and we're in chapter 2 today. If you weren't here last week, last week was a a pretty intense thought, and we talked about this idea, it's a biblical idea, that we are called to plant the seed, we're called to water the ground, but it's God that grows things. What does that mean in practical terms, right? Right? We can pray, we can read the word, we can pray for our family, we can lead our family to the best of our ability, we can share Christ with people, all these different good things we can do to plant and water, but it's God that makes the changes. It's God that does something in those situations. That's what that means, okay? This week, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that Satan has laid traps for us, right? And I know that sounds overtly spiritual, but that's what the scripture says, and we're going to get into it a little bit. And that we have to be careful to avoid these traps. And if we're not careful to avoid them, we're gonna fall in them. So we'll talk about what the traps of the devil are today and how we can stay away from those traps, okay? So when you walked in to either side, you should have got a notes handout. It has everything I'm gonna say in it. Everything should be on the screens. If you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter two. And if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, which is extremely handy, click on services, and sermon notes—you got everything there. Scripture and notes, very, very convenient. Okay, so we got a lot of ground to cover. Let me pray. Uh, we will jump into this, and we'll see where the Lord takes us. Okay, Lord, I just want to tell you, thank you, God. I love this church. I love it so much, God. Thank you, Lord, that we can joke around and have fun, God. And thank you, Lord, that we can be comfortable and like a family. Lord, we pray, God, that we 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 can get into Your Word, that it will sharpen us today that it will honor you how we study it and what we talk about today. God, we pray that we apply it to our lives. We pray, Lord, not only for our church, we pray for every church in our community. We pray for all the great nonprofits we work with, Lord, specifically FCA that we're working with this month. God, that you bless that organization and help them to advance the gospel in middle schools and high schools and colleges, Lord. God, just keep your hand on us today, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Men, Okay, chapter 2, I'm going to read a little bit. This is from Paul to Timothy, and I'll go back and break it down. Okay, here we go. Paul says, "'You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus.'" No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, context is important. In the context of this book of the Bible is Paul was not only in prison for his faith, he was very, very close to being executed for his faith. So Paul knew that we would suffer for our faith. So he writes this to Timothy and he says, you need to be strong. He says, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that in this life, every single one of us are going to suffer on some level. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, in this life, there will be suffering, right? It's going to happen. And if we're going to make it through this life, we need a lot of grace and we need a lot of guidance. So we have to depend on God to help us, to show us where to go when we make mistakes. He forgives us. We have to lean on Christ because life is difficult. It's extremely hard. So not only, though, do we need a lot of God and we need to be filled up with God and the Holy Spirit, we also need to be pouring out into others and teaching them to pour out into others. What that's called is discipleship, that we are to be poured into, we pour into people, and then they pour into others, and on and on it goes, and the faith grows, right? So all of us in this room, every single one of us on some level, need to be pouring into other people so they can then pour into other people. All of us in this room, we are all called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, the hard part of that is not everyone wants to be poured into. Paul tells Timothy, he says, find men who will be committed. Not only committed, but they will be committed not only to hearing, but to eventually sharing. Now, what that means is some people are not committed to that. Now, this is a very hard lesson, but it's a biblical lesson, it's a Jesus lesson, that sometimes we're going to talk to people about the truth, we're gonna want to help them, but they don't want it. And Jesus said, for people like that, Jesus' words, not mine, you are to knock the dust off your feet and go find someone who does want to hear it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for people. It doesn't mean that we don't keep the door open so they, if they do change their mind that they can come hear the truth. But Jesus said, find those who want to change and pour into those people. It's very, very important because if not, we kind of waste a lot of time. So Paul uses three analogies for the Christian life, right? How Christians should live. The first one he uses is a military term, being a good soldier. Paul actually uses a lot of military language in his letters. And what he means by this is that like a good soldier in the military, Christians should expect that this is going to be difficult, right? This is going to be hard. All of you in this room, if you're a new Christian, being a Christian is is difficult. It's very hard. Sometimes we get a lot of trivial complaints Just like soldiers get, we got a lot of trivial complaints. People complain about things that really aren't that important. So we have to let those things go. Just like a good soldier, we will be engaged in warfare. Not physical warfare or cultural warfare. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. And just like soldiers, we're to deny some basic comforts for the greater good of the kingdom. A soldier will deny basic comforts for his country. We do it for our kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. We lay down some things for the kingdom. Also like a good soldier, though, we're not alone. We have a commanding officer. That's God, right? Not only do we have a commanding officer that walks with us, we have each other. We're not alone in this. We have the church, other soldiers who are doing it with us. And we have to be careful not to get caught up in civilian life. What does that mean? It means just like a good soldier, they stay focused on what they're supposed to be doing. They don't wander off into enemy territory. For us, that is false teachings. That is, that is pointless philosophies and arguments about things that don't matter. We can't get distracted by that. We have to stay focused. We have to know what our objective is. The second analogy he uses is an athletic analogy, a sports analogy. Now, this is not the only age where sports is a big deal. In the Roman era, sports was a huge deal. That's why we have the Colosseum, right? Sat 50,000 people in that place. It was, Sports was a huge deal. In the Roman era, though, they didn't compete for money. They competed for prestige, for the award, for the prize, to be known, to be honored. And so what Paul is saying is just like athletes in the Roman era, We are to compete, we're to complete the race that we've been given, but we have to follow a certain set of rules, right? Just like in sports nowadays, there are rules and if you break those rules, you forfeit, right? You don't win. And so the rules that we have are the word of God. What that means is there are absolutes. It's not a choose your own adventure thing, right? Like Jesus has set the rules and the guidelines and we need to follow those rules or we're not going to complete the race that we're supposed to run, right? There are absolutes, The last analogy that he uses is agricultural. Jesus used to do this a lot, a lot of agricultural references. And he's basically saying, this metaphor shows that if Christians aren't paying attention to the land, right, if we're not planting seeds, if we're not watering, we're not going to get any crops, right? On the flip side of that, if we are planting, if we are watering, we're going to get to enjoy the fruit of that. What I think we often forget though is this, when you plant seeds, when you water, we're talking about with people, right? When you invest in people, you don't always see an immediate change. People ask me why I love yard work so much. I love doing yard work. The reason why I like doing yard work is I can do it and step back and go, it's done, right? It looks good. It's not always like that with people. Sometimes you never get to see the change. They may change, but you may not get to see it or enjoy that until much, much later, right? Sometimes it's hard but we're not responsible for the results. We plant, we water, God deals with the results, okay? That's God's job. The point, though, of this opening is this. Life is hard. Being a Christian is hard. Fighting the good fight is difficult because we're gonna be tempted. We're gonna be made fun of. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna get exhausted, We're going to be misunderstood, right? I was misunderstood, and someone wrote about it on Google the other day, right? Like, people will misunderstand you, but we can make it through those things because God is good, because God is with us, and if we will just lean on him, we'll be okay. It's tough, but we can make it through the tough stuff because God is with us, okay? All right, next part. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, And descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't deny himself. That seems to contradict each other at the end, but I'll clear that up, I hope. When Paul says, remember this, Timothy, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he descended from David. The reason that's important is Jesus Christ was 100% God and he was 100% human simultaneously. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that the creator God humbled himself to serve mankind and to save mankind. If we forget that he was one or the other, we lose sight of just how magnificent Jesus Christ is. And we don't live like him the way we should, okay? But when we remember that God came down, that Jesus was fully God, fully man, it shows us that he was worth suffering for. And Paul says, I'm suffering so much for the gospel that I'm bound like a criminal. I love what he says next though. Though they bind me, they can't bind the word of God. They can't contain the truth of the Bible. What that tells us is this, is regardless of what society or culture does to Christianity, you cannot stop the truth. You cannot, in China when they throw people in jail and tear down Christian churches, the church in China is exploding millions and millions of Christians over there, much more than we have in the United States. You can't contain the truth. You can't bind God and what the word of God says. And we need to remember that. Regardless of what they do to us, the truth will win. The truth will come forward. And so Paul says, I endure all this. I put up with all this for the elect. Now in Christian circles, we often argue, what does the word elect mean? Some people say, well, the elect is the predestined, right? Because the Bible teaches predestination. Other people say, well, no, the elect are people who have chosen to follow Christ, that have free will. Now, people often ask me, Corey, does the Bible teach predestination or free will? And I say, yes. It teaches both of those things. It does. For those that are foreknown, he is predestined, and we also have a choice in that matter. So... The question and the argument over are we predestined or do we have free will is kind of a pointless one. The better question is, are you living for Jesus Christ? And if you are, you don't have to worry about it, right? So the better question is, are we living our life in accordance to the way Jesus wants us to live it? And so Paul says this. He says this is trustworthy. Now, whenever the Bible says that, we should probably take note. And he says a lot in this little section. Paul says that if we have died to our ways and if we live Jesus' ways... We live forever with Jesus. He then says, if we endure this life, we get to reign with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. And then he says, but if we deny him in this life, he denies us, right? That we, we don't go to heaven, basically. Now, what this little paragraph shows us is that the decisions we make now matter. How we live now matters, and it matters for eternity. There are eternal rewards, and there are eternal, eternal consequences for the things we do and don't do. Now, some people also argue about this. They often say, well, Corey, can you lose your salvation? Because it looks like it's contradicting itself here. Because it says, even though we're faithless, he's faithful. So can we lose our salvation? Now, listen, I don't believe you can just lose your salvation. Like, whoa, man, I put that next to my wallet. I don't know where my salvation is. I don't, I don't think that's the way it works. But what I think the Bible teaches us is that we can consciously deny Jesus, which means we can know the truth and say, I don't wanna leave the truth. I don't wanna live that way. I don't wanna follow these things. And we are consciously denying Jesus. And when we do that, we forfeit salvation. We've chosen to not be saved. But I don't think we can just lose our faith. That's why it says, the faithless, God is still faithful. Faithless there means that as good as we are, As hard as we try, as close as we live to Jesus, as we possibly know how, we're still not going to measure up to how faithful he is. We're still going to be faithless. But if we love God, if we're pursuing Christ, if we're asking for forgiveness of sins, God is faithful, he saves us, he walks with us, and he helps us through this life into the next life with him. So it doesn't contradict itself itself there. Okay, next part. Paul says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Himenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they're ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay. Some are honorable and some are dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. I'll clarify that as well. So Paul warns Christians not to get caught up in minor issues that will only ruin those who listen. Now let me give you an example of that. When two Christians are arguing on Facebook or in public or at work or whatever, two Christians, right? They're arguing about things that really are not that big of a deal. What happens is is non-believers stand on the outside and they go, if that's Christianity, I don't wanna be in it, right? Those people are mean. They talk bad about each other. They argue all the time. I don't want that. So what we need to do as Christians is we need to pick our battles wisely, right? Pick the majors and the minors, you can focus on the majors and kinda let the minors go, right? The other thing we need to avoid is the Christian bubble. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with you listening to worship music or watching Christian movies or reading Christian books or having lots of Christian friends, nothing wrong with that. But you need to make sure you can have a normal conversation with normal people. So if someone walks up to you at work and they're like, hey Corey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm just sanctified and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, how are you? they're probably like, what the heck, you pompous idiot, right? Because that's not how normal people talk. And if you speak in an insider Christianese language, people who are not Christian don't understand you. And we can't have relationships with them and build relationships with them. We need to be very careful to avoid that. Because we have to be good representatives. So instead of getting engaged in useless arguments... We need to devote ourselves to the truth, to love, to godliness in our daily lives. We need to be able to correctly teach the word of truth, the Bible. So in order to pursue good things, we have to move away from bad things. If you hear people doing gossip and slandering people, if they're non-believers gossiping and slandering, you just need to not be a part of that. You need to walk away. If you hear Christians who are gossiping and slandering, you need to say that's a sin and God doesn't like it, right? and then you need to walk away from it. There's so a lot of Christians who are so good at talking about everybody and talking bad about people and sharing people's business. That's a sin, man. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says people that do that will not inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. That's a big deal to God, and it leads to more godlessness when we engage in that kind of conversation. Paul says that kind of stuff spreads like gangrene. What a very vivid image, Right? And look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, I should have like marked this bold and pink and flashing or something. Look at how relevant the scripture is. Look at what it says here. All you parents are gonna love this. Bad company corrupts good morals. What does that mean? Where you go, who you're around, the things you engage in, the things that feed you, the things you look at and hear will change your morality. They will start to shape you. So what's around us, we need to make sure that we're around positive things. And Paul gives an example of two men who have strayed from their Christian roots because they surrounded themselves with not great influences. And they started teaching doctrine that wasn't true. Now, the heresy that they specifically told people, these two guys that Paul mentions, is they were going around telling everyone that Jesus already came back, right? He already returned. We're already saved. So that means you don't have to live a particular way. We're good. Everything's good. Now, we don't teach that particular kind of heresy in church nowadays, but because we do not know the Bible and we are the most biblically illiterate group of Christians that has ever existed since Christianity has been a thing, because of our negligence of the word, we don't teach the proper things. And so we have a lot of people believing the lie that we can live however we want and still go to heaven. If you're an Alabama Shake's fan in here, I don't know if there's any of those, but the lead singer of the Alabama Shake's released a new song and I kind of like them and so I looked up the song and it's it's it was kind of shrouded in Christianity. It's called He Loves Me. And I'm like, "Oh wow, you know, she's a Christian. Let me this song's going to be cool." Turn it on. First line, right? I don't go to church, but Jesus loves me when I smoke blunts and get drunk and all this stuff and I'm like, "Wait a second. Jesus does love you when you do those things, but the song is twisted and the theology is twisted. Though he loves you while you're still a sinner, Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So listen, Jesus is going to love a a lot of people who are going to go to hell. The Bible says that it's not God's desire that any go to hell, but a lot are going to go to hell. So just because he loves us doesn't mean we're saved. But there's a lot of bad theology in Christianity right now. God loves me. I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. The Bible says we shouldn't send more to receive more grace. That's ridiculous. That's what the Bible says. But we have all this bad theology, and we have this bad theology because we don't read the Bible. That's our problem. So another piece of bad theology that we have is that if we simply believe in Jesus, everything's okay. Now, real belief in Jesus, I guess we have to define what is true belief. True belief has action behind it. Now, the Bible says that the wheat and the tares grow up together, and they look really similarly. So in this day and age, it looks like there's a lot of Christians, but God knows who is truly his, who really loves him and follows him. So not only does the truth win out in the end and God is going to separate the genuine Christians versus the nominal Christians, but those who really follow Jesus will show it in the way they live and the way they speak and work and raise their, their kids and treat their spouse. and It's gonna show through those things. James says it in chapter two of his contribution to the Bible. He says, you can tell me about your faith, I'm gonna show you my faith by my works. I'm gonna show it to you. True faith has action. Now this last little uh, kind of analogy that Paul uses is kind of weird, like why is Paul talking about like kitchen utensils at the end of this part? It's a little, it's a little weird. But in the Roman era, they would have different levels of utensils when guests would come over. Basically, if a guest came over that you didn't like, you'd be like, hey, give him the wooden spoon, right? You know, like give him the clay fork, give him that. Those were the dishonorable utensils, right? If you just felt obligated to host somebody. But if someone came over to your house that was an honorable person, you brought out the silverware, the goldware, right? The really nice stuff because it was an honorable person. What Paul is saying here with this analogy, he says, be the silverware, be the goldware, be the the, the best utensil you can be so the homeowner, right? God can use you for the best works, for the best things, for the honorable things. It's actually kind of a neat analogy, isn't it? All right, last part. Paul says, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. "'Reject foolish and ignorant disputes.'" It's the third time he said that. "'Because you know that they breed quarrels. "'The Lord's servant must not quarrel, "'but must be gentle to everyone, "'able to teach and patient, "'instructing his opponents with gentleness. "'Perhaps God will grant them repentance, "'leading them to the knowledge of the truth. "'Then they may come to their senses.'" and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. There's a lot in that. We often say in church and in Christian circles, right? Well, my friend's on the fence. I'm on the fence. They're on the fence. I hate to break it to you. There is no fence. We are either moving towards God or we are moving away from God. There is no neutral. There is no pause. So what Paul says is move away from immature or youthful passions, right? Satisfying your flesh, being materialistic, all that kind of stuff, right? Flee from that and run towards good things. Righteousness and faith and love and peace. What does that mean? Righteousness means we move towards living by the words of this book. That's righteousness, is doing what this book tells us to do. Faith is depending on God, right? Trusting in him. God, I don't know how I'm gonna make it, but you're gonna bring me... bring me through. I trust you. I have faith in you. Love is self-sacrifice. It's laying down our comforts and laying things down for the greater good of other people, for the greater good of the kingdom of God. And we're also to pursue peace, which means harmony with other people, getting along with all kinds of people, not just people like us, but harmony with all people. Now, if we're to pursue those things, we have to reject foolish and ignorant disputes. In other words, do not get distracted by the debates of this world. Don't get lured into those Facebook arguments. I have never seen a Democrat post a thing on Facebook about how great it is to to be a Democrat and a Republican go, sold, I'm in, right? I'm voting straight Democrat next time, right? I've never seen it the other way where some really right-wing Republican posts a thing about how evil Democrats are, and a Democrat goes, man, you're right, we are evil. I've changed, right? Changed my voter ballot card, everything's good, right? And we're Republican now. I've never seen that, right? Maybe one person out of the eight billion on planet Earth has seen that, but I, I doubt it. So what you need to do is we need to avoid those kinds of debates, right? We need to avoid those kinds of senseless arguments and ignorant disputes. And so we have to ask ourselves, how much time do we waste as Christians arguing about things that really aren't that important, right? Things that aren't even salvific. We argue about things within the church, and they're not salvific. This doesn't mean that we can't talk about those things, but how are we going to bring people to their senses when we've lost our senses? How are we going to do that? Listen, one of my, one of my best pastor friends that I have is Father Chris Finley at St. Patrick's Anglican Church in Smyrna. We go have lunch about every six weeks or so. He shows up. He's got the collar and the robe. I look like I just rolled out of bed, but I smell really good, right? (laughs) Is that cool water? Heck yeah, it is. Yeah. So we'll go eat somewhere and hang out. And it's interesting. Their church couldn't be run any, any more different than ours, right? They have an organ. It's very liturgical. It looks very different. It's very formal. Very, very different from ours. But that's not the stuff we focus on, man. Because he wants to get people to Christ. I want to get people to Christ. We're focused on the same objective. We're very, very good friends. We kind of let the minors go away because we're all trying to get to the same place, man. I'm going to hang out with Father Finley in eternity forever, right? So we're going to focus on the things that are important, not the minor things. Let those things go and focus on the things that are truly important. We're also called to be gentle. Gentle to whom? everyone. Well, Corey, that demographic of people is very vocal. They hate Christians. They think we're bigoted and small-minded. They live in a way that I don't agree with. That's not the point. The point is you're to be gentle to everyone. And this was specifically targeted towards pastors, but it really goes for all people who represent Jesus Christ. When it says be gentle to everyone, it means exactly that, everyone. That doesn't mean that we condone everyone's actions But we are to love people, we're to speak kindly to people, we're to be gentle, and we're to show respect to all people. Well, I don't agree. You don't have to agree, but you have to love. And you have to treat them the way Jesus would treat them, right? Well, they're my enemies. Well, Jesus said, pray for your enemies, right? Well, they persecute me. Jesus said, bless those that persecute you. We're just trying to follow Jesus Christ's example, guys. And look at what Paul says. I love this. He says, instruct your opponents, So even though they may be in opposition to you, that if we love them, if we instruct them with gentleness, Paul says maybe, just maybe, God may soften their hearts, grant them repentance. They will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. But here's the catch. We will never win people to a loving God by hating them. Just let that soak in for a second. We will never win people to a God of love by hating them, by screaming at them, by by throwing things at them or talking bad about them. We're never gonna win people to that. But if we are going to win people to the truth that sets them free, we have to present that truth with gentleness, kindness, love. But again, here's the catch. Even if you do it correctly, even if you're the most gentle, loving, you've done it every way the Bible tells us to do it, some people will not want to be free. We have to choose to be free. We could love people, we can present the truth. We can, we can do it all the way that God wants us to do it. But some people don't want to be free. So freedom, salvation, if you're already saved, if you're in here and you want a closer walk with God, if you want to be a loving person, we have to choose to be these things. We have to make a conscious effort to love others to be the men and women that we're supposed to be, to have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, to have salvation, to have freedom from the things that we have gotten stuck in, we have to choose to want to be better. But if we're not careful, we fall into a trap. Now listen, I'm gonna gonna get a little charismatic on you today. I was saved in a charismatic church. It comes up sometimes. Here it is. I think we forget sometimes that we don't fight a cultural battle We're not fighting a physical battle. There is a spiritual battle that is raging around us all the time. The devil is after you. He's after your children. He's after your marriage. He's after your home. His whole goal, according to the Bible, is to steal, kill, destroy. He is actively, as Peter said, like a roaring lion, right? He's after us. There is a spiritual battle going on all the time. And I think as Christians, sometimes we forget that. We forget that there is a spiritual thing taking place. And since there is a spiritual battle around us all the time, nonstop, good and evil, fighting for us all the time, we forget that there are traps, that the devil has put landmines, right? Things for us to get snared in. What are these traps? This chapter of the Bible talks about one trap three times that I can remember, the trap of arguments, that we get wrapped up in arguments We get wrapped up in fighting about things. Guys, it was awful in 2016, election year. It's gonna be awful again next year. Christians who should love each other and focus on the majors, we're gonna lose friends over political affiliations. That is a terrible reason to lose a friend. But we're gonna fight and we're gonna debate and we're gonna argue and we're gonna get caught up into things that really aren't that important. We're gonna fall into a trap. A lot of you have fallen into a trap of being argumentative. Argumentative all the time. This chapter alone, three times, says don't do it. It's foolish. Don't get get caught in that trap. We get caught into the trap of distraction, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And listen, I, I don't think cell phones are evil. I think people can be evil. And so it's not your cell phone's fault that you pick it up for four hours a day. It's our fault. But what we don't realize sometimes is when we're constantly doing this, listen guys, because I do it too and I gotta be careful. We're constantly doing this and our kids are growing up real fast. We're constantly doing this and our wife is getting attention from another man. We're constantly doing this and we're getting addicted to porn. We're getting addicted to this. We're getting addicted to all kinds of things. We're distracted. And the world is passing us by and we don't even realize it because we're so glued. We're glued to our TVs, we're glued to our sports, we're glued to any number of things. The United States, is we are masters at making idols. Masters of it, right? And we get distracted. We get caught into the trap of fear. Listen, some of you guys need to turn Fox and CNN off. Do you know how they make all their money? Scaring the daylights out of you. almost said a bad word right there. Scaring the daylights out of you. (laughs) <laughs> it's much better, isn't it? All right. My mom's watching in St. Louis. I got to clean that stuff up. But that's how those people make their money off you. Recession's going to hit. <gasps> Turn it up, right? Donald Trump's the devil. Turn it up. Obama was the devil too. Turn it up, right? We're glued to it. And we get fixated on CNN and Fox and MSNBC, and they're scaring the living daylights out of us, but we have to stay tuned, right? Right? Listen, some of you guys need to turn your TV off and you need to pick this book up. Because the last chapter we covered said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Jesus said it this way. In this life, there will be suffering, there will be troubles, but take heart. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. We know how it ends. We know the good guy wins. Even if they come and they take your head, they cannot take your heart. They cannot take your salvation even if the economy collapses, even if the most nutcase politician in the world gets elected, Jesus Christ still sits on the throne. Amen. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to come hell or high water. The Bible even says that the gates of hell can't even, they can't even advance against us. They can't even move against us. You don't have anything to be afraid of, guys. Some of you need to turn that garbage off. It's a trap. Some of us fall into the trap of selfishness, right? It's all about me well, I'm church shopping and I don't really like the color blue. I'll go visit the Baptist church next week. A lot of great Baptist churches in this town, but if all you're looking for is selfishness when you come to church, you're never going to find anything that satisfies you because here's the thing. We're not here to worship you. We're here to worship Jesus Christ. That's the focus, right? You're not here to worship me. You're not here to be entertained. We are here to draw closer to our maker. It's not about us, quite frankly. It's about Him. Of course, we get blessed through the process, but we fall into the trap of selfishness. What can I get out of it? We fall into the trap of pride. We're so arrogant. We think way too much of ourselves, guys. Way too much of ourselves. No one cares that you had a bagel for breakfast. I posted a picture of my bagel this morning because someone told me it was good to pour creamer on a bagel, and that's just weird, right? But we think too much about ourselves, don't we? Here's the problem, though. If we fall into these traps, guys, we lose the ability to think rationally. Paul says we lose our senses. We lose our ability to think rationally, and we lose our ability to live cleanly, to live the way that Jesus wants us to live. These traps get us dirty, right? They ensnare us. They hurt us. And we lose our ability to think clearly and live cleanly. So if there's a war going on around us, you guys must also remember that Jesus is fighting for you. Jesus is fighting. He is warring for you. We already know that Jesus wins. The end of that book says so. So what we have to do is be smart enough to get on the winner's side. We have to choose to follow Jesus Christ and be in his army, if you will. We know who wins, and he's warring for us all the time. So here's the thing. If we're gonna change, if families are going to change, if marriages are going to change, if work environments or schools or universities or cities or nations, if any of these things are going to positively change, we're gonna have to choose for those things to change. We're gonna have to intentionally do something to see those things change. We have to make a choice. Now here's two practical ways to do this. And I know I say this to you guys Every single week, but I'm gonna say it extremely emphatically this week. For your sake, for your sake as an individual, not anyone else, for you, for you and me, for our sake, you have to get a copy of this book. I don't expect you to read it by next week, I don't expect you to read it by next year, but you need to buy one of these, you need to go to the Gospel of Matthew, and you just need to start reading about Jesus Christ. You need the words in this book. This book tells you how to spend your money. It tells you how to act when people hate you. It tells you how to treat your spouse. It tells you how to raise your children. It tells us how to work in environments that are not healthy. It tells us how to live in a world that doesn't always honor Christ. This is God's mind on paper, and you need to read it. It has to be a part of your life. It has to be if we're gonna make it. For your sake, please, even if it's just a chapter a day, read the word of God. If you read just one chapter a day, you can read that book in three years. If you read three chapters a day, you can read it in one year. One year. if You'll dedicate yourself to that. Don't just read the word though, live the word. Even today when it says be gentle to everyone, when you leave this place, even if it's difficult, be gentle. I know sometimes we have to be firm. Sometimes we have to put our foot down. Sometimes we have to discipline people around. I get that, but be gentle, right? Because mercy triumphs over judgment, the Bible says. Be gentle. Live it in your homes, in your jobs, wherever you go. For your sake, listen, for your sake, you need to pray. You need to be talking to God. You need to find a place every single day and spend just a little bit of time talking with him. We need to be humble enough to say, God, I desperately need you. We need to be more and more desperate and dependent for God's intervention. We need God. And for your sake, you need to say it. God, I need you. I need you today. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a boss, I'm a pastor. All these responses, God, I need you. I can't do this. I need you. And the Bible says we often don't get things because we haven't asked for things. You're not getting the help you need because you're not asking for the help that you need. For your sake, read, pray, live it out. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and the counselor. He will guide you, promise you. That's for your sake. Now, for everyone else's sake, for your coworkers' sake, for the people on your block, for their sake, for the people at your, your, um, you know, the gym you go to or the coffee shop you frequent or the grocery store, the person that takes your groceries out to your car, for their sake, you have to be praying for people. Listen, this is gonna be a, a weird piece of homework, but I'm gonna give this to you. This week, wherever you go this week, work, school, the gym, wherever you go, I want you to really look at people. Don't be a weirdo. Don't hide around a corner. Or you're gonna get a, don't get arrested, right? <laughs> I was just staring at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but really look at people. Seriously, look at their faces. Look at their demeanor. I give you my word. This week you will see, you can see just how trapped people are. Just how distracted and argumentative and sad and lonely people are you can see it on their faces. Let's not be the ones who are constantly distracted. Put it down and look around. Look around at people. We need to pray for those people. Well, Corey, my neighbor's awful. Pray for your neighbor. Well, that coworker, she's always this or he's always that. Pray for them. Speak their name to the Lord God. Help this person. Bless this person. Whatever they're going through, they're acting that way for a reason. God, get to the root of their problems and help them. We need to properly love people. Sometimes, again, we do have to be gentle and firm, but we can be loving. We can be kind to them. We need to pray that God opens up a door for us to share our faith with them. If so many people are trapped, the only way to be set free is by the truth. It's by the word of God. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have to be telling people that. Now listen, again, I'm not asking you to walk into work, right? It's my Bible, people. There it is. Boom, it's my Bible, right? I'm not asking you to do that. People are gonna think you're pompous, right? Don't do that. But if you pray for God to open up doors, God will organically and naturally open up doors for you to share your faith. I give you my word. Let me tell you a quick story real quick. I've already gone over on my time, but real quick. The the year I got saved... I was finishing up my bachelor's degree in English. I had already gotten a job lined up at Smyrna High School as an English teacher, but I wasn't starting for a couple of months. I was working a bunch of odds and ends jobs, going to school in the summer to wrap up my degree. And the church that I went to, we were doing the 40-day fast that that we do in this church, right? I was doing it personally, and I talked to my church into doing it, and we're doing this fast. I was working at this smoothie place, right? Making smoothies. And so what I would do is every day before I'd go to work, I'd put a certain amount of cards for our church, like business cards for the church I went to, in my pocket. And I'd get a little bold in this fast, and I'd say, God, I got five cards in my pocket. Send me five people that where I don't have to bring it up, they bring up church. They bring up God so I can minister to them, give them a card, and invite them to church. Exactly the amount that I would carry in my pocket every day, God would send exactly that amount. So I remember one day I had five cards one day I had seven cards, God sent exactly seven people. One day I had 10 or 11, there was exactly 10 or 11 people. And I wasn't forcing it, I had my Bible sitting out or anything. They just get to talking about something, and I'm struggling with this. And I'm like, oh, I used to struggle with that, but I got saved recently at this church down the street. Oh, what church? I, I need to, well, here, here's a card. And so I would just pray, God, put people in my path. God, give me the opportunity to, to be a catalyst for other to be free. And God would do that. You know, the disciples did the same thing. Jesus sent out the disciples to go minister and they said, well, what are we gonna say, Jesus? And Jesus said, just ask God for the words and he'll give you the words. That's what they did, right? If we will just depend on him. Guys, there are so many people around you who are hurting, they are trapped, they are lost, they are stuck. And you and I have the information that sets people free. And we've been commissioned by God to go share that. Go share that. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm out of time. If you are in this room and you are a Christian, you're a believer, all around you on the tables with the lamps, there's communion, the bread and wine. All of you are welcome to take communion. That represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing we ask is because the Bible asks this, is you have to ask God to forgive you of your sins before you take that. Please be respectful if you don't take this and, you know, be quiet on your way out, but we'd love for you to take communion, right, in remembrance of Christ. If you are in this room and you need prayer for anything, anything at all, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. Please don't go at this alone. There are men and women that would love to pray with you. They'll connect with you. If you need to get a phone number or an email, they'll stay in touch with you, but please come up here and get prayer. The last thing is, up here to my right, your left, Isaac is up here. He's one of our pastors. He's got a master's degree in theology. He knows a lot about the Bible. He was a chaplain in the army. If you guys are in here and you're not a Christian, but maybe you're curious, maybe you have questions, maybe you're, you're, you're skeptical or whatever the case may be, you're not going to hurt his feelings, you're not going to throw him off, come up here and ask questions to Isaac and if it's a long conversation, he'll, he'll schedule a time to get a cup of coffee with you or get lunch or whatever he can do, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. Father, Lord, let us pay attention this week. Let us pay attention to our own souls and let us pay attention to all the souls that are around us, God. Lord, let us pray. Lord, let us get into your word. Lord, let us pray for our neighbors and our friends and our family and the people around us, God. Lord, don't let us fall into the traps, God, Let us be aware. Give us guidance. Show us where to go and what to do. Lord, protect my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room and keep them safe till we meet again. We love you and we thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.